You're listening to the Skylight Books Podcast. We're an independent, general interest bookstore putting great reads in the hands of people in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles. Hosted by resident Skylighters, we're here to bring you new and exciting author conversations, group reads, and bookseller chats. Happy listening. Hello, my beautiful listeners, and welcome to Skylight. This is the Skylight Books Podcast, and I'm your host, Lance Morgan. Today, I'm so excited to have Gregory D. Smithers to talk about his new book, Reclaiming Two Spirits, Sexually, Sexuality, Spiritual Renewal, and Sovereignty in Native America, and have a be in conversation with Raven E. Heavy Runner. Gregory D. Smithers is a professor of American history and eminent scholar at Virginia Commonwealth University and a British Academy global professor at the University of Hull in England. His research focuses on Cherokee and Southeastern Indigenous history, as well as gender, sexuality, racial, and environmental history. His books include Native Southerners, Indigenous History from Origins to Removal in the Cherokee to the Diaspora, and an Indigenous History of Migration, Resettlement, and Identity. Greg Raven, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for bringing me on. No, it's a pleasure for both of you to be on. How are you guys doing today? Excellent. That's great. Good to see you, Raven. Good to see you as well. Oh my God, I'm so excited for the conversation today. Um, I'll let you guys kick it off. Sure. So why don't I start by talking just a little bit about uh, how I came to the book which was a long process, honestly, um, as I talk about in the book, and as many people know, I'm uh, originally from Australia. And I grew up uh, in Australia during a really turbulent time in Indigenous Australian history. Um, it was a time when uh, Aboriginal Australians were taking the Commonwealth government and the states to court to get their land back and, and assert their land rights and their sovereignty. And so that was an era growing up coming of age in high school and college um, that alerted me to a, a bigger world out there, a bigger history that is connected intimately, intimately to the landscapes and the waterscapes, the cultural scapes um, of, of Australia, which I just wasn't taught in school. Um, and through that process, and in through some of the early work that I did, I became very interested in, in Native American history, um, and eventually came to the United States over 20 years ago now. Um, my accent is kind of weird because of that. Um, but that it was that beginning and trying to place the indigenous Australian context uh, into a broader global context of understanding the impacts of settler colonialism um, that drew me more generally to, to the type of work that uh, I've been doing for the last uh, two decades. And so this project sort of came out of that, um, that general trajectory uh, and of talking to people who were part of the two-spirit community uh, in San Francisco. I, I went to graduate school in UC Davis, uh, which is just north of San Francisco. Uh, I met some wonderful people in San Francisco who were part of the Two-Spirit community, um, but didn't feel as though that there was sort of an accessible um, uh, book that explained and, and went over and, and, and nurtured a, a historical narrative about the varieties of Two-Spirit identities and roles 
um, and cultural traditions and how those traditions are very much alive and being renewed. And in some cases, traditions are being created. Uh, history is being made um, in the present uh, as well. Uh, and so that's what drew me to this book. Um, and in particular, I, I, I started the process and I start the book um, by talking about um, the Bates Powell just before the pandemic shut the world down. And that powwow was sort of connected me to all of the abstract research that I'd been doing um, over the years and talking to people in, in their separate communities. Um, that powwow brought people from all over the country together and it sort of crystallized for me um, and helped me, helped me try, try and understand and sort of glimpse uh, like in 1990 when that term was being debated uh, outside of Winnipeg, you know, what term should we use um, to describe ourselves? Um, and, and that umbrella term, two-spirit, was, was um, uh, decided upon. Um, so that's what drew me to this topic, and it's what drew me to people like Raven, who's been instrumental in this community uh, for so long. Um, and I was just so honored and delighted when Raven, you decided to talk to me. It was just, you know, a real thrill. Um, but I wanted to sort of ask you, Raven, because um, I know I asked you when we first spoke, when you first heard the term Two-Spirit and, and what it meant to you. Um, and I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that experience, thinking back to, to when you first heard that term. So it was not long after the, uh, uh, the term was, you know, uh, coined and brought out into the, uh, at that time it was the uh, American Indian uh, or, or native gay and lesbian uh, um, gatherings. And so around that time I was doing theater and I was traveling across uh, Canada and um, <clears throat> playing this character that was considered, uh, uh, I guess it, it was described as a Burdash, you know, character mm -hmm. at that time. And it was, uh, the discussion around using the term Burdash was kind of uh, um, being brought out there as a pejorative term. And they said, you know, um, I don't think that it would be a great term to, to use to describe yourself, you know? And so, uh, and they were also talking about, okay, how can we um, have other entities use this new term um, and, and stop using the old terms, you know? And it was at one of the gatherings where a group of uh, uh, Two-Spirit people um, decided, hey, we're gonna start taking on these larger, you know, institutions. The American Anthropological Association was still using Burdash and um, they said, you know, we're gonna send a letter to them, but they wanted to first bat this idea off of um, this uh, indigenous scholar. She, her name was um, Dr. Beatrice Medicine, and she had done some earlier writing on um, sexual uh, uh, variations of, uh, of uh, roles within uh, Native America. And uh, so they called her up. She was, I believe, working in, uh, in um, um, Ontario at the time, not Ontario, excuse me, Ottawa, uh, for the Canadian government uh, because she had her PhD in, in uh, um, I, I'm not quite sure what it was in, 
Um, but they called her up and I had just come into the uh, into uh, this group um, and I was a baby at the time. I was I was still really young and just looking at all these uh, people who were, you know, um, activists within the native community who were using some of those, uh, the native community as well as the LGBTQ community, using those skills that they had learned, you know, um, in, in organizing and, you know, getting information out there and saying, you know, this is who we are. And they called up Beatrice Medicine and they said, you know, uh, Dr. Medicine, you know, we are, uh, we just got to coming from a gathering and we um, are wanting the American Anthropological Association to stop using this pejorative term to describe who we are, because who we are is we're not kept boys for sex, you know, and so uh, Beatrice Medicine was like, hmm, okay, well, how many were at this gathering now? And well, there's like about maybe 45 or 50 of us. And they're like, hmm. So about 45 or 50 of you all want to go and tell the American Anthropological Association to stop using this term. And I was watching everybody in the room and they were like, yeah, yeah. And she goes, well, yeah. You, <laughs> you tell them that then. And um, so, Fast forward to you know many years later, and um, I'm trying to think of what the name of that movie was. Uh, that uh, was I think it was Trans America. They used that term Two Spirit" in a mainstream movie, and I just sat there and I was just like, "Oh my gosh!" I was in the rooms when this word, uh, when this term first started coming out. You know, I was not there in Winnipeg when it was first coined. With uh, Myra, uh, Albert McLeod, and those groups, but you know they became mentors. You know soon after that, and so to me it felt like you know we are reclaiming not only these roles but these these terms for ourselves, these words of empowerment. And so um, prior to that, you know the I, the idea of who these people were and the roles that they played. You know, I was just starting to understand that I just got out of the military. I was an avid reader and um, I started finding some of these books. And to me, it was the first time that I had actually, you know, seen representation of who I was, not just at the time I still identified as a gay male and then was like, wow, we have, you know, historical role in our communities that go back for you know thousands of years um and we were here you know in these roles thousands of years and in my mind i was just like okay well what happened between then and now you know mm -hmm. um, and but it, it was just like uh it was really great to be able to see representation of who i was as a young indigenous you know uh, non-heterosexual person and realizing that um, historically we had a place. And I think that for me at that time, because the movement was just starting to begin, that um, you know, I had the opportunity to be a part of that and you know, uh, still gathering information, you know, still gathering information. And, and that's one of the things that I 
really um, admired about about the book as I was reading it, you know, um, and I got an opportunity to read it before it uh, as it was, you know, being constructed. And so uh, you read all my typos. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just like, wow, you know, I, I seen where there was information that was in previous books that just got built on and it got either uh, uh, brought out in greater detail. And um, some of those ideas were kind of batted off of two-spirit people within our uh, uh, current community. And so it was really great to see how that uh, all came about, you know. And so uh, I guess when I first heard the term two-spirit, you know, it was, um, it, was, it was a very powerful and empowering, you know, moment for me. And so yeah. uh, see some of that, you know, uh, uh, the journeys that other people had gone through, um, put out in, in the book as well, you know, it was kind of great. You know, what was interesting to me throughout the process of talking to people and researching the book, um, and in fact, not just this book, but all of the work that I do. I mean, my work is really centered on indigenous histories and indigenous epistemologies, knowledge systems, and, and using those to critique colonialism. Uh -huh. um, and one of the things I find striking in, in all of that research, but particularly for this book, is just how important language is. Um, language is incredibly important in terms of, of reclaiming native languages and, mm -hmm. and just thinking in, in one's native languages is, is a hugely important mm -hmm. um, cultural transformation that people can make or, or reclaim. Um, but also language in the sense that the, the words that are used to describe people and events in the past, whether it's 10 years ago or 100 years ago or 500 years ago, um, can both enlighten, but also do an awful lot of damage uh, mm -hmm. to, to the ways in which uh, native peoples and communities are perceived mm -hmm. by scholars. I mean, you mentioned the term badash, which my goodness, um, that offensive label mm. stayed around for a long time, didn't it? I mean, a lot longer than it ever really should have. And in fact, I can remember being at, at history conferences in the early 2000s. Um, in fact, 2011, I can remember one conference where a panelist used the term badash. Uh -huh. And I almost fell off my chair in disbelief that that term was still being used. Mm -hmm. um, but it just go, it went to show how powerful, but also how violent some of the language in the written archives of colonialism uh, can be. Uh, and so one of my, my objectives in writing the book was to try and navigate the violence of, of the written word um, and, and to look between the gaps. Like what are the, what are the writers of these documents saying as opposed to native people and what are they not what, what's being said but not explicitly and how do we fill in those gaps um and one of the one of the beautiful things i think about the the sort of moment that we're in and have been in since the 1990s is is the manner in which two-spirit people have been reclaiming at a, both a sort of a an umbrella level, but also at a, at a tribal level. And I assume you've, you've seen that, Raven. Mm -hmm. You've probably, you know, it's, it's enriched you, I'm sure. Um, I wonder if you had any 
any sort of insights or reflections um, back on that process as you look back over the, the past few decades? Yeah, I think that um, <clears throat> even as a indigenous person, you know, sometimes people have to realize that we are looking through the lens of our own experiences in, in our, um, our backgrounds. Um, there was a, um, a uh, gentleman, he was a professor down in Colorado by the name of Tink, uh, um, and he had written about the kettle carriers, um, and how it had been explained earlier um, by a, a native person who was very Christianized. He said, uh, for them, the kettle carriers were the two spirits, right? Mm -hmm. And so, uh, and they had wrote, they had written this this article probably a couple of decades back and it had to be you know and and as they were deciphering as you were talking about the language you know how you look at it and there was this uh, very christianized native person who was saying oh that term yell um this is what it means but they weren't very highly esteemed people you know whereas you know there were other Osage people who were looking at that and saying, no, 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 this person, you know, I don't know what lens they're looking through, but this is how we looked at the, those kettle carriers. They were important for us to be able to uh, go out and, you know, um, protect our territory because the kettle carriers are the ones who, you know, fed the warriors while they were out there and took care of them to make sure if they were hurt or, or they needed anything, you know, uh, as far as, you know, um, uh, rest or sustenance or you know whatever it was um and their role was very important you know but this other person as they were looking to a different lens um looked at that role uh, as a uh, uh and described those people as lesser than you know mm -hmm. and it was kind of important for you know us to realize that as we were coming out of that age of not having any information about who we were and coming into now this, this um, uh, uh, the, the, the books that are, because there's definitely a lot more books that have come out since the late 80s when those uh, first two had uh, uh, come out, Spirit in the Flesh uh, by Walter Williams and Living the Spirit by Will Roscoe, collections of stories, you know, the first one was, was uh, more academic, um, uh, similar to, to uh, yours, Gregory. Um, and the other one was more, uh, there was a lot of input by uh, Two-Spirit people with their poetry, with, you know, their, you know, understanding of who they were and what was going on on the reservations. And so some of these stories we started bringing back to our own people and saying, hey, you know what, we were represented in our communities long time ago, despite the fact that, you know, Christianity came onto our reservations and that was for many our educational system, you know, we were taught by priests, we were taught by nuns, we were taught that, you know, the roles that were, um, that we were supposed to play did not include two-spirit people, you know, and so as tribes are trying to, you know, um, I guess, strengthen all of their tribal members' roles within their community. Some of them are taking on those tasks of, you know, codifying their laws and uh, their policies within, uh, you know, their their uh, tribal systems, be it like in their jobs or the healthcare or education or whatever, to be inclusive, you know? Mm -hmm. and, um, I think that there's some tribes that are a lot further along 
And there's some tribes that uh, are still very, you know, uh, Christianized and are less apt to be inclusive. Um, so yes, there's there's uh, been some wonderful things that have that have occurred, you know, uh, prior to um, uh, marriage equality, you know, nationwide. There was tribes that were having that opportunity to put for their uh, their learning. Hey, should we be inclusive, you know, of a uh, of uh, same-sex marriage, you know, and there were a few tribes that took that uh, took that stance and said yes, and you know they uh, were able to before federal the federal government, the U.S. federal government uh, had marriage equality. They had marriage equality, so you know, in those instances, it felt really wonderful to be uh, included as a two-spirit person, knowing that there was these um, changes that were coming across Native America and. In the different tribes and you know i felt um that it, and it's still happening you know it's still happening there's still some things that we have to uh you know um change you know within our systems and part of it has to come with you know understanding you know and educating ourselves and and getting that information you know uh from whatever source that we had and you know one of the things that i wrote uh, as I was writing that forward after having, you know, uh, read the uh, the manuscript, um, because people had had brought this up. Okay, here is this non-native person writing about native people, and mm -hmm. I realized that how did I know about all these historical stuff had it not been for people, whatever their motivation was, in putting these things down in on paper and saying, you know, oh, we've seen these people that are definitely not like others and describing their roles and later us being able to say, oh yeah, we have these roles, you know, or finding ourselves within those, those, those roles that occurred a long time ago, but yet kind of transcend into today. And I say that as, um, you know, having been in the two-spirit community since 1993, and that's when I went to my first gathering, that's when I first started, you know, um, becoming involved uh, in uh, whatever I could to help the two-spirit community. And it, and it really uh, began just by me, you know, uh, rolling up my sleeves and, you know, asking what they needed as far as help, going and helping the elders at the Two-Spirit Gatherings and, you know, helping them when they were running sweat and then just listening as they told stories. And a lot of these stories were things that they were hearing from back home. And um, I, I think that was a really uh, integral part of who I uh, became as a Two-Spirit person, understanding the role and the responsibility that I had to my community, you know, and at that time I was, you know, a young two-spirit person and now I'm like approaching 60. Um, and so I feel a responsibility, you know, to those younger people who many are still kind of struggling with their identity or maybe other uh, difficulties that they are having, you know, pathologies within their community, be it like, you know, uh, under education, unemployment, you know, health issues, you know, chemical dependency issues, whatever, you know, um, a lot of colonized communities uh, um, uh, experience, you know, and it is necessarily just here in North America, as Gregory was saying, you know, it was happening in Australia and New Zealand and, you know, uh, Africa, where uh, 
people who had become colonized had very similar experiences with, you know, um, their intellectual property not being being able to be passed down to uh, uh, the next generation for survival reasons, right? And so I that uh, it was, you know, great that there are these, you know, places that have this information stored, regardless of what they need. They have. I think there's right? a couple of things you touched and on so there, Raven, that were really important to me and sort of uppermost in my mind as I was researching and writing. And one was the intent of of the written documents that I was looking at, written by non-native people, mm-hmm. and often the intent. I mean, really from the very beginning, whether we're talking about in the early 1500s or in the 1950s, I mean, the intent is generally, was general to gain knowledge of an over native people and very often with the purpose of pathologizing native Mm -hmm. individuals, but also entire native communities. Uh, and these providing these pathologies, these reports that basically pathologize native people being used as rationales for policy uh, that sees indigenous children abducted from their homes and placed into boarding schools, for example. Um, so yeah, I think that's a very important point that you raise. Anyone who does um, native history or studies generally has to be very conscious, I think, of the intent. Why are you doing it? Um, and, and that was something that I was looking at very closely um, uh, throughout the, the centuries that I cover. Um, the other was the nature of history and how the nature, how history and history making has changed over time. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, there is this general sense among historians that history is open to everyone. Mm-hmm. And I kind of get that, but at the same time, that there's this recognition, or at least there has to be this recognition, right? That history hasn't necessarily been written for everyone, and mm-hmm. sometimes it's been written about people mm-hmm. with really negative intentions in mind mm-hmm. um, to sort of, you know, describe Native people as savages, as cannibals, and as 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 badash for example. Um, And so understanding that on one hand, the sort of the corruption with which history is used to denigrate historically native communities, but on the other hand to recognize that that openness is actually an opportunity for for all of us, native and non-native, to um, Mm re-engage with these histories and the sources that we draw upon, whether they're written or otherwise, uh, to understand the past and have the past inform our present and future. Mm. Um, I, you know, you hear a lot, right, about um, revisionist history and how some people in our society think revisionist history is bad. Mm. Um, there's frankly no term that I hate more than revisionist history because, frankly, all history is revisionist. Mm-hmm. We're constantly giving meaning to histories each generation as we re-engage with, with, with history and the documents of the past and what they mean to the people at that time and to us in our ever-changing present. Um, so there's also that aspect of history that I wanted to run through this book. And then there's this other aspect of history of, of refusing to take this sort of, um, uh, I don't know, it's a methodology or a framework of refusal to refuse to take 
what the colonizers said at face value. Mm -hmm. And I think when you, when you begin to do that, then it really opens up some extraordinary possibilities uh, for rewriting and revisiting histories in a way that gets us past some of the, the derogatory depictions of, of previous generations of, of historical writing. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's important work for, for non-native people to do, but I think it's important work for, for native people to do also. Um, and I was reminded of this earlier in the year um, when the Bates uh, powwow was being held and they held it online. And I was struck by how a number of the elders were, were talking about and, and, and quite concerned about how the younger generation didn't know their history. And some of the key figures upon whose shoulders and knowledge they themselves are operating on in the, in the 21st century in 2022 and going forward. Um, and so that really struck me because that's something we often talk about generally as historians that, oh, no one really knows history. Um, and it's clearly something that is, is, is sort of touching communities, whether they're native or non-native across the country. Uh -huh. um, so I'm, I'm, I mean, this is a long-winded way, Raven, of me sort of asking you about how, how you see history shaping the present and the future. Like how, how can we use history in an active way, not uh -huh. just to sort of list events and people that happened in the past, uh -huh. but to actively use history to inform identities, communities, and, and to perhaps re-engage and reconnect with some of those traditions and, and in, a, in a sort of a, a renewed way that is appropriate for the 21st century. I think that um, <clears throat> there was the, and, and there's this ongoing movement within a lot of colonized uh, um, cultures um, and, it, and it's uh, a movement around decolonizing oneself and looking, through, uh, looking at history and saying, you know, what had occurred? You know, what was Native America like before uh, contact? What happened during contact? And where are we at now? Where do we want to go? So what, and, and, and then looking back, also saying what worked? What worked within our community, within our social structure, within our governmental structure, within our intellectual structure, within our, you know, psychological structure, within, you know, our social structure, all these different things, what worked? Um, because obviously, if you look at our communities still today, um, what's in place right now isn't necessarily working. And so if you're looking back at the, the elements that did work histori historically, like then you're pulling from history and saying, with these things that we know worked, we're going to go forward. You know, one of them being, um, and this is what's happening within uh uh, the two-spirit community, uh, and it's, 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 it's starting up, you know, um, long time ago, you know, uh, prior to colonization, and even, you know, in, as it was coming, uh, as it was occurring, we still had uh, places that were allowing for rites of passage. If you were a man, if you were a woman, or if you were a two-spirit person, you came into those roles, and you had responsibilities in those rules, but you also had rights in those rules, but you didn't automatically get, get those. You had to be able to, you know, if you were with your, working with your, uh, your uh, 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 father, you know, then you would go out and you would learn how to do all the stuff that helped uh, in the role that he played within, you know, uh, the, 
tribe, or if you were, you know, with the, the females and you would go out and help them, and you would get to a certain point where you would be ready to be brought into the community now as an adult male, female, or a two-spirit person, and you came out in front of everybody, you know, mm. all community would come out and they would do this rites of passage and they would say, this person has fulfilled all the things that, you know, we feel they needed to fulfill to take this role on and the community would come out and they would get a new name and everybody would come up and they would greet that person with their new name. And now they knew that they had not only the rights of that role, but also the responsibilities of that role. And so those are some of the things that we as Two-Spirit people are trying to teach. And you're right, there are a lot of young Two-Spirit people um, that do not know who they are, you know, but definitely the amount is, you know, uh, less than what it was when we first started out. There were so many of us that did not know who we were as Two-Spirit people, didn't even know that we had a role because of, you know, Christianity and socialization and colonization, you know, and now too. So yes, there are those young people that don't have that, but that's kind of where our role as Two-Spirit, you know, adults and Two-Spirit elders and Two-Spirit teachers and historians uh, being able to you know, convey that not only to, to uh, young Two-Spirit people, but to our communities, you know, and say, this is who we are, you know. Um, there was a, uh, and this is kind of a link with, linkage of those roles historically to what happens uh, today. Uh, I, I grew up with this, uh, this Two-Spirit person uh, um, in the Seattle area because that was our relocation area for uh, our tribe. And this gentleman, uh, he was maybe a year or two older than I, I, I am. And uh, uh, he was raised by his grandparents, by these old people from uh, the, uh, the Salish coast. And he knew like a couple of the Salish languages and he knew their stories. And so his role today is once a year for four days, he tells all the stories. He goes through. It's not just the stories, but it's the songs that go with each story. And there's a dance that goes with each story and everybody participates. And as I looked at that, I realized this was the passing down of intellectual property, where the people had come from, you know, and how they interacted with the beings around them, what lessons they learned, you know, and it was, and it took into account a lot of the learning uh, the ways that people learn, if they learn kinetically, if they learn orally, if they learn, you know, by visual, uh, they were able to like, you know, hear the stories, they were able to uh, uh, um, sing the songs, they were able to get up and do the dances, you know, so everything just kind of like to be able to, you know, uh, bring that information into your body, you know, there were so many different ways, and I sat there, and I was just amazed, and this was his role as a two-spirit person to do this every year, and so um, I was just, like, amazed at all the different people that I've encountered in my journey as a two-spirit person, taking roles that, you know, you had listed a creator about the people who were the, uh, the doctors and the nurses and the teachers and, you know, the ones that cared for the orphans still taking on those roles today and realize, sometimes not even realizing that they were taking on those roles, right? You know, right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, that that's and that actually, Raven, is where the sovereignty part of the subtitle comes into the book, because I wanted that to sort of flow through the book. I mean, we think of sovereignty in sort of political terms and land back, and it, it is all of those things, but it's also the cultural sovereignty that you alluded to uh, just now with the sort of reference to stories and song and dance. I mean, that's that's the kind of stuff that helps people see and feel and experience the world in, mm -hmm. in a way that is particular to your community. And I think gives enriched meaning and empowers people. Mm -hmm. um, without that, the other types of sovereignty are really kind of hollow sure. and meaningless, I think. Yeah, I, I think that there that it's it's definitely, but it also kind of like shapes our understanding of what the world around us means, you know. Yeah. And I think that, you know, um and, and, and that's why I, I, I think like the inclusivity of two-spirit people, you know, was something that was easy for native people to understand you know um uh and when i think about like uh uh you know the indigenous languages and how when we describe personhood it wasn't just necessarily two-legged people personhood was everything it was like the the animals had a person you know the rocks had a person the water had a person you know all these different entities had you know um a, a persona and they had rights you know as yep. they had the right to be able to exist and you know that inclusivity um included two-spirit people and so for me i think that within the language you know it really describes our relationship to um our people you know mm. um and so I think, Raven, that's that's actually why you see two-spirit people taking a leading role in climate action uh, mm -hmm. at the moment. I mean, you saw the two-spirit nation at, at Standing Rock, for example, yeah. and two-spirit people have have led uh, anti-pipeline and environmental protection movements, um, activist movements throughout North America um, mm -hmm. since then as well, which is, again, I think reflective of uh, some of those nurturing caregiver roles that two-spirit people historically have taken on in, in many tribes throughout uh, Turtle Island, uh -huh. um, which I guess brings me to, you know, what do you see going forward? What's, what are your hopes for the future um, for two-spirit people? Well, of course, you know, that continued um, inclusivity or, or growing within, uh, growing inclusivity within our tribal communities. You know, and I think that it still has, you know, there's still many um, tribes that have a ways to go, you know, mm -hmm. in understanding um, their two-spirit constituents and even the two-spirit leaders that are within their communities. You know, there's, uh, uh, I remember I was really excited to have met a two-spirit person who was actually uh, on their tribal council, you know, and it was in Canada. And they were actually elected as the tribal chief, you know, mm -hmm. and we were just like amazed. I mean, it was one of the first, uh, well, 2002 was the gathering and it was in Mission BC. Um, it was one of the international two-spirit gatherings. And this person was just like, wow, a celebrity. Because, you know, for us, 
it meant that, that we were gaining he was an out two-spirit person right and since then there's been you know a number of two-spirit people on you know their tribal councils who have been out and who have been um uh, instrumental in including two-spirit people within their laws you know one of them uh, um uh is uh johnston is his last name and he uh is a uh, actually i think he had a couple terms as uh vice chairman um of his tribe up at quinault in washington and uh he just recently has you know didn't run again and and it's just you know uh, getting out there and doing some of the uh, and another gentleman who is uh down in oklahoma you know, as a tribal council member. And these are people within the two-spirit community that, you know, uh, I think it was really important that they were members of the uh, two-spirit community that would come to gatherings. Because at those gatherings, the great thing that was, um, uh, that I liked about them was we were able to share with each other, you know, as two-spirit people, our understanding of who we, are as two-spirit people and the struggles that people have had either as urban two-spirit people or two-spirit people on their reservations, you know? And uh, for us to hear those stories, you know, was informing ourselves about what was going on within our tribal communities around our issues. You know, what did, what would be, what is the thing that was kind of important to be able to, uh, to deal, uh, to, to address rather. And so, um, and, of the people that, you know, and there's some two-spirit people that, you know, are doing stuff in their own communities, um, which is wonderful, you know, but I also think that those gatherings are really important for people to really understand what's going on in other tribes, uh, what's going on in, in the Canadian bands, in the Alaskan villages, in the Pueblos, you know, uh, in the rancherias, all these different native communities around, you know, uh, North America. Um, and, and the great thing about it is actually it's, it's extending into Mexico, yeah. you know, where they have the, the uh, LGBT indigenous people down there that, you know, are saying, hey, you know, we're a part of this community too. And this is how we have been carrying on our traditions. And so it's so interesting to, to see that. And, you know, even for us now, we are uh, um, getting highly involved with the, with the, uh, um, the you know the the Hawaiians and the Samoans and the Tongans and and their uh, and their uh, I, 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 they don't call themselves two spirit that they have their own names which are, are wonderful that they have the, these names and and they're you know we're getting a chance to share these common these common roles. Yeah, and my my hope is Raven, and I sort of allude to this in the final chapter about futures in the book is that these gatherings and the debate and the sort of dialogue that goes on about what it means to be two-spirit will continue because I tend to think that that makes the umbrella both bigger but also stronger and more robust. Uh, and I think that's really important because whether we like it or not, unfortunately, colonialism has gone nowhere. And we're sort of seeing that with a lot of the anti-trans uh, politics and legislation that's going on throughout the United States uh, at the moment and elsewhere. Mm -hmm. um, so there's going to need to be that strong umbrella and that sense of, of, of community because uh, there may be some, some, some tough times and, and some, you know, tough things that we need to do both 
um, two spirit and ally uh, together. And I just kind of want to really put uh, a plug out there for the, uh, the uh, tribal equity toolkit. Uh, yeah. Basically, you know, shows tribal uh, governments how to be inclusive of two spirit people. Yeah, absolutely. I think the tribal is something that everyone should read. Hmm. Well, thank you both for such a great and just like exciting conversation. Listening to you both talk, it's just, I've learned so much. I mean, I've learned. Thank you, Lance. And if the listeners out there, you want to learn some more, I know a great book you can go to your bookstore right now and buy that will, you know, be a great great <laughs> continuation you could buy right now um gregory's book reclaiming two spirits sexuality spiritual renewal and sovereignty in native america right now at skylight books or wherever you buy your books from hopefully a local bookstore um before we go do either of you have anything you'd like to say to the you know listeners and the independent bookstore community well, I'd like to say two things, actually. I'd like to say, one, thank you to Raven, because uh, I can't begin to tell you how many uh, people have seen the little snippet preview of the book and read Raven's forward, and are just like, oh my God, he's amazing. And my response is always, yes, he is. Um, so I, I just thank Raven from the bottom of my heart for, for being part of this project. Um, and I also thank you, Lance, and Al to support their uh, local independent bookstore. Um, they're super important for our communities. Um, so please get out there and um, whether you buy one or two copies of my book or another book, just go to your local indie bookstore. But uh, you should buy a copy of this book for sure. Raven, do you have anything you'd like to say? Well, I would just like to thank, you know, uh, um, Gregory, Dr. Smithers, and yourself, Lance, for allowing me to you know, talk about this uh, community that is so dear to my heart, you know, and uh, that many of us have put a lot of hours of work into um, supporting and getting out there. And, you know, I think it's really important for us to be able to, to uh, share who we are, you know, we're this, this, this world community of really beautiful people. And I just thank you for allowing me to be a part of this conversation. No, thank you for coming, for being a part of the conversation. Thank both of you for this. It's been a treat. Um, and thank you to the listeners out there. Thank you for, if it's your first time, thank you for listening. Uh, please go back. We have some great episodes like this that you can listen to. But if this, is, but if you're coming back, thank you for coming back. We appreciate you and keep on listening. All right. To all of you out there, have a great and beautiful rest of your day. Go treat yourself. Do something good for yourself today. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon. <laughs>